Friends, welcome to this episode of Leadosophy and my interview with Chief Warrant Officer 4, Kevin Morgan. Great friend of mine, served with Kevin multiple times in the U.S. Coast Guard, known him for two decades. Yeah, he talks a lot about his time in the Coast Guard, what leadership means to him, what fathership means to him. We talk about a whole host of subjects from search and rescue, law enforcement in the Coast Guard to diversity and, you know, his time at Coast Guard Station Golden Gate in San Francisco, very dynamic place. And just a lot of his other experiences, Coast Guard experiences, and Kevin's lived all over the country, served in the Coast Guard all over the country, West Coast, East Coast. So really fun interview. Hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution, you are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of leadosophy, Tim Wood. All right, welcome everyone. We are here on leadosophy. You're here with an open mind because that's the rule and not the exception. My guest today is one of my longest time friends, Chief Warrant Officer for Kevin Morgan, active duty U.S. Coast Guard. Kevin's been in the Coast Guard for 25 years, two and a half decades, Kevin. It's a long time, man. I know. Right. Kevin, uh, Kevin came in, Kevin and I came in the Coast Guard, just a little background about Kevin and I, we came in the Coast Guard pretty much at the same time. I came in, came in a little bit before him. I came in uh, late 1995. Kevin came in in 96, 1996. And uh, yeah, I mean, I retired obviously way before um, Kevin, you know, Kevin's obviously still in. So I've been out for a long time. Kevin's still, still churning along for how much longer. I think we kind of have an idea, but that's for now. <laughs> wouldn't say another. I'm churning. I'm more yeah. just drifting in the current at this point. <laughs> drifting in the current, Kevin. Uh, but Kevin's had a long, I'd call your career illustrious. You've done a lot of great things. You've held a lot of high positions, command positions in the Coast Guard. I've uh, done fairly little administrative positions. It's pretty much all been operational, right? You want to talk a little bit about kind of maybe the 30,000 foot view of your career and kind of what you've done and some of the cool things you've done? Yeah, I think sim similar to you, Tim, right? Like, uh, you know, as, as a bosun mate, right? Like operational, actually, you know, boots on the ground and doing the, the things you see in recruiting posters is what, you know, I think drives, drove me to the Coast Guard and drove me to the jobs that I, I chose. You know, I'm, I'm kind of in an admin job now, Right. And uh, I don't think I lasted. Uh, <laughs> I think the, the ironically, I guess the funny thing is, is the job that drove you to retirement. I'm basically doing now just in a sector a little bit further north. You were in uh, Long Island Sound and I'm in uh, I'm in uh, northern New England. So Portland, Maine. And uh, the job that drove you to retirement is driving me to retirement. Right. Obviously, I got some other circumstances in there, too. But, um, you know. Uh, so, yeah, so, you know, multiple command jobs, right, um, you know, Station Golden Gate, right, Station Morro Bay, uh, D7 Tacklet, uh, District 7, uh, Station Gloucester, you know, here. So, um, 
multiple jobs, multiple, you know, great places, great people, um, great experiences. Right. And, uh, you know, so a lot of people in the audience, they may not know what a, what a tacklet is. Can you describe, because that was kind of like your, you did search and rescue almost your, your entire career. And that was kind of yeah, like a so spinoff. Maybe, maybe we'll get into this in leadership, right? Like in the, the challenges of the, you know, military kind of life, right? And the Coast Guard, right? Where there's, you know, you can kind of basically bounce around, right? So, um, you know, similar, you ended up taking obviously a CO job when you made warrant. But when I made warrant, I got a call basically saying, you know, you can go to, you know, uh, you know, fast response cutter, you know, pro in Lockport, Louisiana, or you can go to, you know, district uh, response enforcement in district seven. So obviously as someone that was primarily West coast and did nothing but search and rescue, you know, boom, I was kind of thrown into the, uh, the fire in uh, district seven operations for, like you said, for the audience that doesn't know, that's basically South Florida Caribbean, right? So it's all, all, narcotics drugs right that's what drives uh operations in the seventh coast guard district which does include georgia and south carolina and uh the eastern side or the western side of florida but i always used to kind of joke when i was down there right like uh anything north of west palm beach was district six right because <laughs> nobody nobody really cared what was going on up there as long as you weren't killing well, as long as you weren't killing somebody, nobody really cared what was happening outside of Florida, Puerto Rico, and the and the Caribbean. So that's I think because that's that probably Florida. one of the busiest places in the Coast Guard is down in South Florida and in the Caribbean, obviously. It it is the busiest, um, is the craziest, right? Has the has one of the spots. District eleven does too as well. Um which is California. California. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the probably most impactful districts from the standpoint of, you know, the Coast Guard's law enforcement capability and testing, you know, the laws that we actually have on the books and their constitutionality. So lot, lots of high risk, high op tempo stuff. And while, while I was there for a year, uh, the person that was running the District 7 tactical law enforcement team in uh, Opalaka over at the air station, he ended up retiring and uh, ended up sliding over to that job. So they kind of ran the uh, Coast Guard's non-compliant um, non-compliant vessel pursuit program when I kind of went around essentially District 7 and really around the country and trained on ion scan technology, right? Using the ion scan machine, which is uh, a machine you'll see at the airports, right? When you'll get pulled out of the line randomly and they'll swipe your hands and it'll go through a machine looking for uh, explosives or narcotics. So we trained essentially almost all the Coast Guard on those because we, we became the center of kind of excellence for the machines. And then, uh, you know, evaluated all the units around South Florida to make sure they were, they were training and meeting all the requirements to, you know, pursue other vessels and use warning shots, disabling fire and understood the laws of, you know, high seas and indication of nationality and, and all of that. So it was, you know, it was a good time. It was, it was fun. And then I, I left there and went back to my roots to search and rescue and came up to the Northeast and took over station Gloucester in what the summer of 2016. And then, you know, did my three year stint there and, you know, time came to, to rotate again. And, uh, this time I kind of chose stability for the family and the wife and everything. And I, 
I took a job up in Portland that I normally would never have taken. Portland, you know? Maine, right? Portland, Maine. Yes. You know, normally never would have taken, wasn't excited to take it, still not excited to be there. But, um, you know, at a certain point, you got to realize, you know, what are you sacrificing? You know, how many more T-shirts, how many more plaques on the wall do you need with your name on it when, you know, you've got uh, other things to, to consider, right? Um, you know, I think when you're younger and your kids are younger and they're not in school, right, it's all about the mission, the mission, the mission. And you do get to a certain point where that dichotomy changes a little bit or shifts and and you realize, you know, at some day, right, you're going to have to retire and you don't want to be, you know, divorced, losing half your retirement to your spouse. So it, it, it worked out. Right. And I was luckily I was able to to stay in the area um, and, you know, keep my house, let my kids keep going to the same school, same friends, same everything. And, you know, I wouldn't, you know, there's days that I wake up when I'm, I'm on the phone with somebody, you know, talking about a lighthouse only blinking for 22 miles versus 24 miles and how that's the end of the world to them. Sometimes I have to get off the phone and like, why did I, what, what am I doing? Right. <laughs> it's all necessary, though, in the big picture. All necessary. Yeah. I, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, and, you know, you know, just like I did, you were in the search and rescue business for a long time. And, you know, those that mission is one of I mean, it's urgency. It's always urgent, you know, when when the, obviously the mission is an urgent one. But yeah. and then going from search and rescue and then obviously down to South Florida where you're doing drug interdiction, stuff like that. And then you're going into the world of AIDS to navigation. It's like time yeah. slows down and extends, you know, cause we both did it. And it's not yeah. that those missions are not important. It's just nothing that we were used to doing our entire career. Right. Yes. Right. And I think that sums it up probably great. Right. Like you're used to fielding that phone call of, you know, the fishing vessel that's overdue for 12 hours, right. With four people and what the weather forecast is, or, you know, you're briefing the Admiral on, you know, uh, a vessel on the high seas, right. With no indication of nationality with, you know, or mixed, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, Venezuelan flag with, you know, Colombian, you know, master or whatever, whatever it might be. Right. And, you know, trying to institute international law, right, for uh, right of visit boardings and whatnot, right? So you're you're doing real, or in my, like, standpoint, right, like real nation impact stuff to, um, you know, prevention, right, which, again, AIDS navigation is, is important, but, uh, you know, I'm you sure you didn't get we love our AIDS navigation. Maybe I need to be on a couch here, like talking about why I, why I went to prevention. <laughs> no, it's, uh, you know, it's obviously the, the, the AIDS navigation mission of the Coast Guard is, is prevention for a reason. And, you know, the, we, it's, all, it's all part of the, the big picture. But, yes, it's definitely going from the world of search and rescue to AIDS navigation is, and like I said, it's just, it's, it's difficult if, if you've done search and rescue your whole life and then going into the world of AIDS and navigation, especially for me, it was hard for me because I'd never done that mission. So I had a, I had a huge learning curve. And from a leadership perspective, I was just like you are now, you were overseeing multiple units with that AIDS navigation 
mission and you yes. had some experience in AIDS navigation. I did not. So I had to take a, I just basically <clears throat> had to take a back seat, man, and depend on other people, their knowledge, their competence, their recommendations until yeah. I could kind of get my certain book level knowledge up to a, you know, a certain speed. So it was hard. For yeah. Me. I'll, I'll be honest, you know, Tim, I mean, yeah, I did. I did some Aton stuff. Right. But that was, you know, long time ago, tw 20 years ago. And, you know, multiple 12 packs later. Right. Like yes. I don't, I don't remember a lot, you know, ironically, not that much has changed in a lot of it, but you know, one of the other things I do here is I'm the ice program manager. I've never broke ice. I've never been on an icebreaker. So can I'm you explain that mission? Can you explain that mission for mission for people? Yeah. So, so, so domestic ice breaking, I don't, I don't have the numbers right here in front of me, but a huge percentage of the cargo and heating home oil comes through barge in Northern New England. So because environmental reasons because the topography up here there there are no pipelines there are no um you know you know new hampshire's the granite state and there's granite in massachusetts and maine so just for the topography purposes there isn't you know a huge vast network of pipes that go to everybody's houses like you would have in other parts of the country so the old days of these houses that have the you know oil burning furnaces, right? And oil trucks that deliver home heating oil, right? Is what, you know, 90% of the houses have in New England and that that oil needs to get to them some way. And the best way for it to get here is, is via barge. So, you know, with, with winter, you know, things freeze up and when it freezes up, barges need to be able to get to these facilities to offload their product. And they don't have the capability for, a plethora of reasons, right? Environmental, right? Legal, just, you know, you name it. They don't have, you know, more than three, four, five days of surplus on hand. So, you know, one of the missions is, is obviously we need to keep those facilities open. So we've got uh, four ice breaking tugs that I manage and we make sure when ice conditions develop, they're there to, to break them out. So when you say manage the, the four ice breaking tugs, is that kind of just managing basically their logistics, right? Their schedules, because they have to rotate. They can't be going obviously day in and day out for weeks on end. Right. Yeah. I, I, I obviously manage their schedule. Um, I, you know, help work them through any kind of personnel issues. Maybe they potentially might have right and right. Uh, work with the district. If they have a shortfall or their shortage or something, to, to surplus somebody else and just keep them essentially operational. I try to, I try, you know, obviously they, you know, you try to limit and you try to take all of the crap that they're going to get. And you hope to stop it all on, on my desk. That way they can just focus on the mission itself. Right. And not all of the other like superficial crap. Right. So that's that's the that's the thing that i i really try to like press is you don't worry about this i'll worry about that you worry about ice breaking because i can't help you i can't help you with that so you know you kind of tell me and i you know obviously like i lean on i've got some great officer in charges right young young chiefs that are you know magnificent so you know it, it makes it really really easy to to manage when you don't really have to manage much they just kind of take care of everything themselves and you know 
Um, so you're definitely just in a kind of a support role, whatever they need, they can call you. Cause that's what, yeah. I, that's what I remember about the position you're in now. And like Kevin said, we were, I was, I retired from the same position that Kevin is in now. Just, I was in a different location. I was in uh, Connecticut, which is basically Long Island sound and New York, Connecticut area. So yeah, so definitely uh, I remember the ice breaking season being quite hectic. Obviously the worst winter you have, you know, the colder it is, the, the worse yeah. the ice breaking is. So, Luckily, knock on wood, right? This winter has been pretty good. So been pretty mild, northern New England. Been really mild, really, really mild. So hopefully it'll stay that way. So let's dive into leadership. You and I, I can remember in our early twenties when we were super immature. Is that is that an understatement? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I've changed much. Right? Yeah, just, no, me neither, man. We're, we're still we're still kids at heart. We uh, we had a lot of fun. We did a lot of we Kevin and I, our first unit stationed together was in Northern California, Fort Bragg, California, which is about an hour and a half south of the Oregon, California border. Uh, we did heavy weather search and rescue on the on the West Coast. Is it safe to say that we were in positions of leadership as young bosun mates in charge of our duty sections or whatever. We were in positions of leadership before we really saw ourselves as leaders. Yeah. Is that safe to say? Yes. And I say that because yeah. again, I, I didn't see myself as a leader at that point. It was just kind of like, it was almost like a firehouse club that we just did search and rescue. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I never really, I never really thought of it in in the sense like I'm I'm the you know I guess in a certain sense right you you knew you were responsible for you know X Y or Z, but you really didn't you I never really like took it of like it's my job to lead you know these handful of people even though it wasn't a huge number right like what yeah, like ten people. maybe eight or ten or twelve and right know, like I I never really thought about it in that in that like context, right? Like of how do I, you know, I never really thought about it coming to work, right? Like, okay, how do I, how do I get people wanting to do X, Y, or Z, right? It was just, this needs to get done. I'm going to do this. You go do this, right? Kind of, kind of thing. I don't remember I mean, I'll be honest with you, in those early days of my Coast Guard career, the first five, six, seven, eight years, I don't remember ever really talking about leadership. I don't remember getting a leadership speech. I never remember reading a book about leadership. I mean, I don't know if you've got the same experience, but it just wasn't something I ever really thought about. I don't really think it was ever really thought about until really we were at the chief level, right? right. And then... And then at that point, right, I always kind of like to say, right, like at a certain extent, like we're already broke, right? Like we we already were molded into what kind of leaders we were probably going to be, right? With zero kind of like training in it, right? And then it's all hands on. It's almost, it's almost, you know, at a certain point, right? When you try to teach leadership now to me, like I'm, I'm a dog that's been able to jump up on the couch for 20 years, right? <laughs> like, what do you mean? And you're going to teach me that, like, I can't get on the couch anymore? Like, no, like, that's, that's not a great analogy. That's a great analogy. I'm, 
I'm jumping on the couch because I've been jumping on the couch every day for 20 years, right? So um, it's definitely one of those things that we as the organization, right, have uh, um, have not, uh, you know, and I, we know it, right? Like it's identified and, you know, there's some programs and stuff now, right? The Airman Leadership School and and some of those other things, right, that are good. But I also think there are hurdles in the organization that really prevent, you know, you can read some of these leadership books and some of the, and you're, you're obviously well more versed in this than I am in like some of these philosophies, but the way the Coast Guard transfers folks, the way Coast Guard views like diversity and all of these things are really almost hurdles to like leadership in, uh, I think, a normal like standpoint, like I think if you're thinking like as sports, right, or you're thinking, you know, maybe as a corporation, right, like um, where as the Coast Guard, right, and I think maybe the military as a whole, maybe there's some other people that uh, are different services that can speak different, right, but, um, you know, the Coast Guard as a whole puts a whole bunch of like hurdles that really prevent you from being able to be super successful at, at a unit, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, no, that's and that's good. It's you know, it's I I think it's funny. You know, you talk about the dog on the couch thing, and when I thought about that, you know, if if your leadership style is a certain way, if you're molded a certain way over the course of five, ten years, it's your what you're saying is it's hard to change that style or. Is it hard to be open to new ways of leading others or you just say it's, it's kind of a fixed thing once you're on this journey? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I think to a certain extent, right? Like leadership is, is I think part of your personality. Right. And I think like to a certain extent, right. You, I don't, I think, I think you can, I think, I think someone's either a leader or they're not. Right. Um, I, I think you can take someone that's not a leader and teach them and maybe, they can get up to a certain point, right? And you can take somebody that's a great leader and give them a whole bunch of stuff and they can like just be amazing, right? But I think for the most part, most people probably just hover right around the the status quo or the mean, right? Like they're either kind of a, a, a could have been a good leader, but, you know, didn't necessarily get the right training or the right like environment to make them succeed. They just kind of like filtered down or you have the people that really weren't anything and then they've kind of maybe gotten some training and gotten there or you do probably have those folks that are just terrible terrible bosses and they just suck right no matter what and they're just kind of down in the bottom in the basement and you know unfortunately probably some of those people think they're good leaders right and it's like no actually like you suck you're a terrible boss <laughs> right? would know. you can, so let's unpack the good leader uh characteristic would you know a good leader if if you saw that person, I mean, I guess what, what's, and again, I don't know if there's necessarily a right or wrong answer with this, but you've had some good leaders, obviously you've worked for in the past. What, if you had to start maybe extracting some of those qualities, characteristics from those people, what have you seen of those people that you've worked for in the past where you're like, you know what, that is a good leader. I would follow that person any day. Can you maybe unpack that a little bit? I, I think, you know, it, it changes probably a little bit, right? Um, Based on... I, context I, situation yeah, job yeah I think situation right like job like what what you're what you're what you're doing right I'll, I'll say from 
from kind of a middle manager or first line, you know, manager, right. That has managed 30, 40, 50 people. Right. Uh, well, I always found the best, right. Like I, I worked for, I don't know how many captains, right. I can't even, can't even count how many O6s I've worked for. And there's really only two, maybe three that stand out to me as somebody that I knew would have my back when the bullets were, when the bullets were flying. Right. Metaphorically. uh, Metaphorically. Right. right? Um, You know, when, when that SAR case didn't turn out good. Right. And, or you had a boat crew that ran aground or whatever it was. Right. And, and you have embedded in the organization, these folks that just, love investigating right and investigating and investigating and investigating and i I always just say like no one's house is clean right nobody nobody's house is clean it's just a matter of time before you find that i've got mice in this cupboard right like i i didn't know i had mice in that cupboard but of course you were here with 30 people digging through everything for 45 days of course you found you know a mouse turd in there it was it was the captains that I knew. And you're talking like of, inspections, like the inspections that you have going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I'm more talking, right? Like when, when you have a mishap, right? Because if you're operating and you're doing things, bad things are going to happen. It's just, it's just the, the law of averages, right? What I always found comforting, right? As somebody in a boss was knowing that if, I'm out there operating or I'm out there doing something and somebody makes a mistake, I'm not going to crucify them. And I'm going to know that I'm not going to get crucified. And knowing that you've got support from above, it allows you to operate and, and effectively succeed in mission execution when you're not constantly worried about, you know, the what if scenarios. You can just do your focus on your job. You just focus on your job. Not, I mean, I'll tell, I'll tell a a quick, a quick sea story. Right. Um, And I think they're all retired now. I know you don't have to use names. You can just use generalities. So I, I, I was um, first OIC job, station Morro Bay. We get a call from um, a concerned citizen and, you know, condo commandos right overlooking the ocean seeing a um uh, a kid struggling right to kind of stay afloat like in the surf and it was about four miles north the moro bay conditions were you know wind was blowing 20 20 miles an hour it was a good like you know four to six like foot sea chop um station launched in our 25 foot uh response boat small got on scene right and uh found found a person face down unconscious immediately got him up on the boat right um wasn't breathing but had a pulse right now anybody's been doing this a long time that's 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 pretty rare right that you you get somebody that's in that which means they just they just stop breathing like getting them advanced life support is is kind of paramount right so uh ems was right there at the beach right couple couple hundred yards away right to transit all the way back into the harbor would have been 15 minutes and then you know trying to do cpr on somebody right 
you know, um, or even like rescue breathe for them in four to six foot seas on a 25 foot boat going 30 knots as you're trying not to ideal. get into port. Not ideal, not happening, probably isn't going to work. Right. So I contacted the coxswain and I was like, Hey man, can you safely beach the boat? Right. And he was like, yeah, I can, I can do it. And I'm like, when I say safely, right. Like you're not going to hurt yourself. Right. And he was like, and yeah. The, He's like, the, just to clarify the coxswain is the person with the authority responsibility yep. for driving the coast guard boat. Yeah. And I, I kind of said, Hey, if you can do it safely, beach it. And he's like, you know, and I remember him telling me, he's like, I don't know. We're probably not going to be able to get the boat back. And I, I just made the decision of, Hey, you know, who cares, who cares if we destroy the boat, right? Like, let's save a life. I'm like, beach it. Right. So of course we, we beach it, right. Get the guy off. You know, unfortunately he ended up passing away at the hospital. Right. But we, I know, deep down, we gave this person the best chance at survival, right? And uh, so I got underway with the 47. And uh, just in case we needed to try to pull the 25 off before it really got set up into the surf and everything. And they were actually able to to back it off themselves, right? And of course, they they spun some hubs, did, did about $1,000 worth of damage to the boat. And uh, I, I got a call from the deputy that that evening, right? And uh, here I am kind of high-fiving the crew, right? Like, couldn't have been happier, right? Like, risk-based decisions made at the appropriate level, right? Like, the appropriate risk for the appropriate gain, like, every everything was perfect, right? And 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 this boss, this captain, right? He was, his, his first words to me, well, don't worry about doing the investigation right now. We'll take care of that tomorrow. And I, I remember kind of hanging up from the phone going. Not like, hey, good job or nothing like that? Not good job, nothing. Just investigation. Like that was what he was worried about, right, was the investigation. You know, but that the rest of the time that I was at that unit, I knew, I knew here was a scenario where we did everything right. Nobody got hurt. Minimal amount of damage. But I knew any instance that things weren't perfect, I, I was going to be done or I was going to have to fall on my sword to protect one of my people. Right. And not that I wouldn't have done that, but you know, it's not something ideally that you want to do, you know? Um, sure. So I always valued a boss that when bullets were flying, would be standing in the foxhole kind of with you, right? And shielding you from, you know, the the folks that are driving their desks, essentially. Yeah. I think and, you and I I think you and I both have had one or two people in our careers that we've worked for that definitely fit that mentality, fit that mold. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the the last sector, the second to last sector commander I had. Best boss I've ever had in, in my Coast Guard career, right? not she wasn't operational at all right she was mainly um you know on the environmental side but i knew i knew she had my back right and that to me was that to me was priceless so i always i always value that probably the most in in any kind of leader is one that um you know is okay with mistakes as long as the mistakes are made with the ultimate goal right of good right, like, yeah, right right good intentions you know yeah. and fighting yes. and fighting the mob essentially is is what it is right you've got you've got in the coast guard right you've got a whole like 
army of folks that do nothing but love mishaps, right? And peel them all apart, right? And find out anything and everything that, that went wrong. And not saying that, you know, there aren't a lot of things that people did wrong and we need to, we need to correct, right? But uh, it, it does, it, in the Coast Guard, someone that's got your back is probably the most important. You know, do you take that that mindset that you have, especially of, of people that you have admired, uh, like the sector commander you work for? Yeah. Uh, do you take that and, and you try to be that person for people who work for you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, and again, it makes you to me, it makes you makes you think that like, OK, like I can go out here and I can operate freely and I can focus on mission execution. And one of one of the things that. uh I probably diverge a lot, right? Especially when I, I sit on these officer in charge review boards and all these panels, right? And you know, one of the one of the right, every officer in charge review board. What's the first question that everybody asks, right? Like, why do you want to be an officer in charge? Why do you want to be a commanding officer? Blah blah. blah. And everyone's always answer, right? And I hate it. Is always, oh, I want to mold, you know, our future generation or some kind of, right? Where they're kind of you know, like blowing smoke up your, and to me, like the answer should be, I want to be in a spot where I can impact the public the most, right? Like mission execution. I want to train people. So they save people. I want to, you know, I want to bust drugs. I want to stop illegal immigration. I want to do the best thing that I can in whichever statutory mission, right? Your unit like falls under, right? Like that's, that's what, your number one goal should be on why you want to be an officer in charge, right? Is to do the mission, to do the mission and, and not have to ask when I can take the boat out or when I can do this or when I can patrol here or when I can patrol there, right? Like that's, what's fun. All the other stuff sucks, right? All the other stuff sucks. Cause at the end of the day, you don't get to pick your people, right? You know, I think Bill Parcells said it the best, right? It's one of my favorite lines and it really, it really captures leadership in, I think, in the military as a whole, right? Like you're asked to make dinner, but you never get to go shop for the groceries, right? You're constantly just given things and said, make spaghetti. And it's like, okay, well, I don't have tomatoes. So how the am I going to make spaghetti sauce? I don't have noodles. Okay, I guess give me eggplant. Okay, I guess I can try to make some, you know, eggplant pasta, right? And I think, right, like it's. So you're saying from from a from a military from a leadership perspective in the military. It definitely is can be more challenging because it's not like you have a role in the hiring process. It's not like a like a nonprofit where I get to screen the applicants. Right. It's, it's, yeah. it's a 100% like it's not even close, right? Like we're not even we're not even talking apples and oranges, right? Like we're talking arugula and candy, right? Like it's not even, it's not even close, right? Like in, in, in the challenges that you face as a military leader to accomplish your mission isn't even remote in any other facet, right? Not even close. Yeah. But, you know, in, in the Coast Guard, right, like you get 
you know, diversity in male, female, diversity in religion, you get diversity in race, you get diversity in geographical area that they grew up in, right? And then they're all kind of thrown together at different times on different cycles. And you're told to basically make them all get along and 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 yeah. accomplish a job, right? Like, yeah, and I, I, I do think from uh, from my time, from from the search and rescue standpoint, I think one of the, I thought one of the coolest things about what we did in search and rescue, when you get a search and rescue case, it doesn't matter what color you are. When you when people are on that boat crew going out for a mission. Like you didn't think about like what color people were, what religion they were, what was their socioeconomic background? Like none of that mattered. No. Right? It, it, was, just a, it was just a group of parts coming together to achieve a goal. Yeah. That when, you, when I think back at like the, um, at the, the teams and the people that I think got along the best, right? And you see this, I think, in fire departments probably more than anything, right, is they have a real like camaraderie amongst each other, right? That, uh, you know, when they get along and they're having fun, like good things happen, right? And I think, you know, I think to my time in Gloucester, right? Like the folks that were there that were from the Northeast, they they were the best boat crews when they were together and combined with, with one another. Is it because there- We might have to edit this out. What's yeah. up? Come on, come here. You have my iPad. I do have your iPad. <laughs> I am grateful for Kevin's time. He's got two little ones at home, so. Can I keep borrowing it? No. Yeah, I'm sorry. I need it. When would you get off the phone? Yeah, I'm like maybe another 30, 40 minutes. Do you want my phone? Thanks. Depends. Do you want to say hi? Hi. Like who's, who is on the phone? Is that Uncle Cambria? Tim? Is that Cambria? Yeah. Hi. Hi, Cambria. Come here. Get in the, get in the camera. Hi. What are you doing? Well, I'm trying to get this app on Daddy's phone. What app? Well, you don't have it. Okay. What were we talking about? <clears throat> so, can you... Can you motivate someone who is unmotivated? Absolutely. By force? Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to no. anticipate your answer. Here, no, right? Like, no. I think you have to find the why, right? Find the why, make the why big enough, and then you can motivate them, right? I mean, you know, I take the classic example, right? Like, you say, you have one duty section, you say like, Hey, I want you to go out and do 10 boardings. Right. Or you could say like, say like this, like, Hey, go out and do some boardings this weekend. Right. Law, law yeah. enforcement boardings, right? Right. Yeah. Law enforcement boardings. Right. You might have, you might have a boat crew that will go out and get 10. You might have a boat crew that will go out and get one. Right. Yeah. Or you can say, Hey, you're not going to get Liberty until you get 10 boardings. Right. Well, guess what, right? Like you're going to get 10 boardings. Why did you get 10 boardings, right? Not because they were motivated to get 10 boardings because they wanted to, to get 10 boardings, right? They just wanted liberty. So you made that, you made that why big enough, 
right? Right. Um, it's, the, it's the carrot, right? Dangling the carrot. Yep. And, so you're saying you know, that works. You're saying that works. It absolutely works, right? Like yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take it, you know, into my own context and what I'm going through right now personally, right? Like I hate vegetables. I absolutely hate vegetables, right? Never ate vegetables. Didn't like to eat vegetables, right? Like I, you know, lions, you don't see lions eating asparagus, right? But, you know, with, with, with cancer, right? Like you're like, I need to eat vegetables, right? So now I'm eating three, four, five servings a day of vegetables, 10, if you count fruit, right? A day. Why, why am I doing that? Because the why got big enough, right? Like, so you can motivate anybody to do it. You just have to find, you have to the find right, the, the right, the right why and yep. make sure it's big enough. Yeah. That's a, that's a, and, that's a good point. Now, the question is, how do you how do you find the why? Right. There are some people that just don't care. Right. They just don't care. Yeah. And then there's nothing. <clears throat> there's nothing that motivates them. I do think for a majority of people, right, 90, 95, 99 percent. Right. You can motivate them to do anything. You just have to find the why and make the why big enough. Right. Do you do you think that followership is you think you have to be a good follower to be a good leader i don't even know really what a good follower is i just it's came up i mean jess and i were talking about this last week about like there's not enough emphasis placed on followership we place all this emphasis on leadership yes i think i think maybe i know what jess was talking about right like at a certain point, right? Like you don't need a bunch of team captains, right? <clears throat> at a certain point, you do need people that don't want to be the boss, don't want to be the the one kind of leading everything, right? And that's a good place to, you know, like we joke about it a lot, right? Like being a BM2, right? Just being an E5, having a little bit of responsibility, maybe a couple people that you're responsible for, right and 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 nothing else right like there is some there is some simplicity and some you know i guess sexiness right to just like okay i'm gonna come to work and i'm a framer and all i do is i hammer nails from here to there right Right. you know your job you come in every day you do your job and you go home Right. And, you know, you, you think back of a lot of a lot of folks that I've had work for me. They were some of the best people that I had. Right. right. They were some, of the, you know. And they they stayed at the E5 level and a couple of them got higher tenured out. Right. But, you know, they were the they were the mechanics that you wanted on your boat crew. Right. They were the, the guys that would do the PMS. They were the guys that never called in sick. Right. They were the guys that never, you know, had personnel problems. Right. They couldn't take a test. They didn't care to advance. Right. So as an organization, we kind of shunned them because they didn't they didn't fit like in this box that they were supposed to. Right. They were uh, they were a hinge to progress. Right. They were, uh, you know, um, you know, you didn't advance fast enough, so all these other people can advance. So we're gonna we're gonna kick you out without yeah. the thought of, hey man, right? Like this guy's fully qualified, knows his job, knows it great, right? Like 
and we're paying him bottom dollar, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, in, in the civilian world, right? He would be the perfect employee. Like, wait a second. I've got this employee that doesn't want to be a supervisor, doesn't have aspirations, doesn't, isn't trying to like undercut somebody or make a name for themselves or do X, Y, or Z. All they do is show up to work every day on time and do their job and do whatever I ask them to do. They hit all the bullets. They hit all the bullets in their job description. Yep. Right. Perfect. Right. That's the perfect employee. That's the perfect employee. I think if you were running any kind of business, right. Right. Yeah. Someone that's reliable and someone knows their job. I'm a firm believer. I mean, it doesn't matter what organization you're in military civilian world. It's, it's comprised mainly of paycheckers, people that come in, do their job, collect a paycheck and go home. They don't want extra responsibility. They're not looking for all that kind of stuff. And every organization needs people like that. Everyone, everyone. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Can you teach leadership? Do you believe that? Or is it something something you just kind of, because I go back and forth between, I always, I always think that you'll be more respected as if you're in a leadership role, your technical competence will gain you respect as a leader. You believe that how technically competent you are? Yes. Right. Like it, it makes it, makes it a hell of a lot easier. Right. Right. Like, um, you know, I'm trying to think of, you know, it was much easier for Michael Jordan to be a leader because he was the best player on the court every night. Right. Yeah. So just in the sense of, of course, people are going to want to follow somebody that's the best in the room. Right. Because of what they know, because of what, because what they know and what they do. Right. Like I, and I, I don't, I don't think it's just sports. Right. I'm, I'm sure that there's some, you know, folks at Bristol Myers squib, right that like are great leaders because they're the smartest person in the room and everybody wants to listen to them because they know what they're talking about right and are and are great right and and uh people want to impress them right so yeah i think technical you know it definitely makes it easier you know even from our job right like it was much easier for me to to get in the room and talk about boat driving and what you needed to do and how you needed to do it when they saw me get behind the wheel and just, you know, make the 47 foot motor lifeboat dance. Right. And it was like, Oh, okay. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe Mr. Morgan knows what the hell he's talking about. Cause did you just see that? Like, I, you know, I never seen anybody do that, you know, like, but I will, I will say like, example like sea story right i hadn't probably towed a big fishing boat in probably since fort bragg right like big fishing boat in fact i don't even know if i i had ever really towed one quite this big and we we had a a case in gloucester and it was like a 95 foot like 150 like ton like fishing boat right and um I had a breaking coxswain, of course right and he you know he got scared and i'm like okay like i'll 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 take over and I, you know, I put the thing in side toe and the wind was blowing and I like put it in and it like, honestly, like I was pretty shocked that like it went as good as it did, you know? And like, you know, I got it to the pier, like didn't touch anything. Like, I mean, it was, it was like textbook, like perfect. Right. And, uh, 
I like tatted up and like everyone, like the whole crew was like, Oh, oh my, like just an awestruck. And like, of course I had to play it off. Like, yeah, of course. Right? Like, like you could have done that every day, could, all day long. I could have done that yeah. any day, but like, if you would have been there, you would have been like, yeah, you've like, yeah. You know, I'd have been, ner I'd have been nervous. I know. Yeah. And I, and I was right. Yeah. Like I was, and I played it off and it worked like perfect. But right. Like from that point on everybody, even like, you know, some of the BM ones, because you know, as a surfman, right. Like everybody's like, Oh, I got a surfman. Like, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like they, they don't really get to see. And then, you know, when you are actually able to like, you know, show that like, yeah, like I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Right. Like it makes people want to listen and follow a little bit more. And, and you, and we're no different, right? Like sure. when you see somebody that's good and successful or something, you want to emulate, you want to impress, right. And you, you're going to follow. Right. So I think you're gravitated towards those people because of their, their knowledge and skill level. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Just right. Natural. Um, if, so it's, think, if it's a field that inspires you that you want to be in or yes. Right. Right. Gotta, yeah definite technical expertise in knowing what you're talking about right like makes makes you a good leader absolutely yeah and I'm, also also being humble right when you don't know what you're talking about right like and being willing to say hey i don't know what the hell i'm talking about here like you tell me right like what do we need to do right and i think that gives i think i think that gives people ownership right and they they see they see somebody that um you know isn't isn't afraid to say when they don't know something right because i think that's that's a bad leadership attribute right is somebody that pretends right that's worse that's probably worse than someone that doesn't know something is somebody that pretends to know something and it's pretty easy to id when somebody doesn't know like something i always right? say those people are gonna get snuffed out man those people are gonna get figured out yeah. real quick yep you know because you're gonna have mid-level managers that are super technically competent yes and they're gonna see that leader that like i said there's a difference between being humble just like when i was in the position you're in i was very upfront with the people that work for me like hey i don't know much about what we're doing i'm looking to you to learn i didn't try to like baffle them with a bunch of yeah. bs because i knew they would they would have sniffed me out yeah. Right? So, yeah, I yeah. agree. Those people are I, mean, I, I, out. I tell them that all the time. I'm like, I don't know. You, you know, and I get stuff, right? Like, I don't know. You right. tell me. Can we build a tower? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's build a tower. Right? Well, that's part, you, it's, that's, part of, that's part of technical competence is, is knowing what your gaps are, what your weak yeah. areas are, knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at. Right. And it just bleeds over into leadership. It's kind of like, I don't well, know. I'm not weak at much, Tim. So, like, it's not like I've got to really. You know, it's not like I really got to think about it all that much. You, uh, yes, you have very, <laughs> very few weak areas. I agree. No, I, uh, how would you describe a couple more questions here? Like I said, I, I know you got, you got family and you got little girls and just a couple more questions and then we'll, we'll kind of, we'll wrap 28 up. degrees outside in New England. I got no place to go. Oh, that's true. It is cold up there. It's about 50 here on the West coast of Washington state. So, and the sun shining. So. How would you, what is Kevin Morgan's leadership style? Let's, if we, if I had two polar spectrums, right? I had authoritarian on one side, democratic leader on the other. Can someone pin you into a box, your leadership style into somewhere on that spectrum? Or do you kind of 
are you open? Do you kind of flow back and forth? I, I on think, situation scenario. I think it probably would depend on who you talk to and when along my career <laughs> you talked to them. Right. right? Like, yeah. um, I, I think at a certain point, right? Like, a lot of times people never really understand the why, right? In, in things, right? I, and I, I, I will say, probably without a fraction of a doubt, I think most people that if you ask them about me, they will know that like, I had their back regardless, whether they thought I was a good boss or bad boss, right? It's probably mixed, right? Like 50, 50, right? Um, you know, you ask me, I'll tell you, I'm a, I'm a great person to work for. Just ask me, I'll tell you. Right. Um, but I, I think like you learn, right. Like as you go in different life experiences, I think to go back to like, can you teach a leader? Yeah. I think, I mean, I think life and exposure and experience teaches a leader on things, right? Like you make a mistake on, you know, like this situation, you know, when it pops up the next time, right? Like, Oh, I've been here before. Right. Like I know, I know if I go down this door, right? Like it's not going to be good, right? So uh, I don't think to a certain extent you could paint me into a box because a lot of times I found as a leader, I was just dealing with the cards that I was dealt, right? And with the ultimate goal of mission execution and meeting, meeting this requirement, Right. But then given X to do it, right? Like you had to, you had to change your frame of reference almost daily, yearly, and like job wise on what was happening. Right. right. Like, so I think, I think to a certain extent, right? Like I, I, I got better at, and I'm still not there yet. And I guess I'm, I'm going to retire to, before I really get there, but um, I got, I think, to a point where um, I was able to be pretty, pretty consistent down the, the line on things. But, you know, when you come into a unit and, you know, the, the boss that was there never showed up to work, right? And they were used to cutting corners and doing X and doing Y that was completely against policy. Well, you don't get to, you don't get the joy of being able to come in and be like, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to not sweat the small stuff and just worry about the big stuff. Right? right. No, you can't, you can't come into that with that philosophy. You got to come in like, you know, we got to get to baseline first and then we can kind of change and do stuff. And I think a lot of times, junior leaders or, or people in the Coast Guard don't realize, right? Like you're coming in and you want to institute your plan, but it's not like you've got all the pieces to actually, you know, right. institute your philosophy. I mean, I'll, I'll throw like the sports analogy, right? Like if, if you're, you know, if you're a football coach, right. And you go like, I want to run the ball and play good defense, but all your defensive linemen are, 220 pounds and you don't have an offensive line or a running back, but you got a great quarterback and great wide receivers. Are you going to come in and be like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to run the ball and stop the run. Well, like, no, you're not because you don't have a running back 
and your lineman can't block the run, right? But right. You, a, a good leader goes into that situation and goes like, okay, this is what I want to do. This isn't where I want to be, right? But I know I don't have the pieces in place to do any of that. So let me let me see what I've got and what can I what can I do to get the most out of what I have. How do you right? turn your maybe your weaknesses into strengths too, right? How to leverage and that. then and then eventually, right through attrition and through that's just kind of one good thing about the like if you got a crappy employee or a crappy boss, right? Like sometimes all you got to do is just wait them out. Like oh, ten months, right? Like right, they're going to be year gone. And they transfer, and right? Comes in, right? And then eventually you can get things to where you want them to be. But then the sad thing is, is once you get things built up and you get them right the way they you want them to be, you're transferring, right? That's or or somebody else's is, is going right. Like, um, um, you know, it's like, as soon as you get to the point where you can move, like, just kind of maybe sit back, kick your feet up. It's like, oh, time to go, time to move. Yeah. And I, I, I will say, right. Like my, my first year when I was in Gloucester, I got there and I think we only had 10% of the unit was certified at the jobs that they were supposed to do. So essentially like your BM2, like, you know, only 10% were a coxswain, a boarding officer, and an OD, right? Like, or an engineer, like, it's only 10%. And in that first year, we got every certified and everybody qualified in their jobs. We were at like 95% like certification rate for everything. I think I had like 17 boarding officers, right? Like 10 cock, I mean, everybody was certified. Some of them, like I signed their letters, like, oh God, this is gonna kill me, right? But I, I was able, I was able to sign those letters and I was able to, to, to trust that they would go out. And, you know, the end result of that was we did more boardings in Gloucester, right. Than any other unit in the Coast Guard, we did almost 2000 boardings. Right. And I had, you know, one fraction of the number, I think I had 40, 45 people. Right. So, I mean, we were, we did more boardings than some sectors did. In fact, we did more boardings than like the rest of district one did just us like by ourselves. Right. So, and then, you know, you go a year later, all those folks transferred and it, we were back down to like square one where we were able to not do really much of anything, yeah. you know, it's amazing what 12 months can do for a, for a coast guard unit. I think at the end of the day, right. Like to circle back to answer your question, right. Like, I think if you were really going to ask people, right, like what kind of leader I was, you'd have to, you'd have to probably dive into each situation, right. And be like, well, why did you say that? Right. Because there's always, there's always a why behind almost all of my decisions. Right. Like I never, I don't think I ever made a decision like in it with, in a vacuum that was like, nope, I'm doing this because of this. Right. I've never had like, the founding principles of religion or something that like drove me to any kind of consistency. Right. It was always, you try to take each situation as it's kind of coming at you. Right. And, uh, and they're all maybe unique. each situation. Yeah. Unique. Right. And maybe, you know, I obviously made mistakes and, you know, didn't, didn't, uh, probably do things as good as I, I should have. Right. Like, um, you know, maybe I should have done this or maybe I shouldn't have done that. Right. Like I've, I've had people that like, I've separated. Everybody can say that though. Everybody can say yeah, that. Right. I mean, I've had people that have fired. Right. And it's like, man, I probably really shouldn't have fired that person. Right. And I've had people that like I chose to keep and they turned out to be complete shit bags. Right. So, you yeah. know, you never, 
you know, you never, you never really know. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, little, little reflection, huh? Little reflection, self-reflection. Uh, I guess. Right. Like, so last, last, last question, 25 yeah. years, man, 25 years. What do you, uh, what do you, what do you take away? How do you distill 25 years of military experience into a few parting comments? Cause I know it was obviously, it's, it was a, obviously a large, an entire part of your adult life, really. The whole, I mean, the whole part it, of it. it. You know, the whole, yeah. whole part of it, right? Like, yeah. you know, how do you put it in? A lot of great experiences and, you know, crazy ones and everything else. Yeah, I mean, I think, right, like, uh, at the end of the day, right, like, uh, and you, you know this, right, like the, nobody really remembers who the CO was or in, any of, you know, any of that any of the attributes and the, and the plaques and the medals that I've got, right? Like they really don't mean anything. They're really just going to take up space in the trunk. It's right? dust. Yep. And, um, and I've never even been, you know, the type of person that really wants like a shadow box, right? Like when I retire, that's like got all this kind of like stuff in it. I do like the idea of having all of those accomplishments and all those t-shirts and all that stuff kind of in a box, right, for the grandkids or, or my kids, right, like someday being like, oh, like, dad actually did a lot of like really good, impactful stuff that we never really knew about. And it's just, you know, like sitting in this box, right, uh, right. up in the attic, you know, I don't know, I guess I kind of always envision, right, like the uh, scene from the Patriot, right, where like Mel Gibson's got like the chest, right, and like his old axe and like all of that stuff in there. So that's kind of what I envision for my retirement. I don't know where you, where do you have all your stuff? But my, my shadow boxes. Yeah. She got me one of those little lockers, like the little foot yeah. locker things. And it's, yep. on, it's underneath a, a shelf somewhere, sitting on a shelf somewhere. Yeah. And like, like you said, one day, you know, obviously one day I'll give that to my, my two sons and, they can either throw it in the garbage or light it on fire. I don't know what they're going to yeah. do with it, but you know, I, you know, I, I, you know, I talk about this all the time because we talk always. I mean, we talk so many times throughout the week, but yeah, you know, my, my coast guard career, it's yeah, man. Some days it seems like it was yesterday. And some days it seems like it was, it was like a whole nother lifetime ago. You know, it's, it's when I have conversations like this with you, it's like yeah. all the memories flood back and the things we did together and, led together, yeah, failed together and made terrible decisions together or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, right, like, I don't know, man, right? Like you, you, you think back, right? Like, uh, yeah, man, I don't know, right? Like I always just kind of go back to, you know, my Golden Gate days, right? And, uh, you know, those were probably the best, that, that was, the, the most fun I probably had in my Coast Guard career, right? Especially when I, you know, when I first made chief, right? Like I was in probably the best situation, right? I had it. I was doing a job that I was really good at. I was uh, in an AOR in an area that I knew like the back of my hand. And, you know, I had. You were in the Bay Area a long time. Yeah, I had a the decade best almost, people. probably a decade. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. 
from, yeah, so from, you know, what, 2002 to 2009, 2010, yeah. right? So eight years, right? And most of that at Station Golden Gate, right? Like, I was there a long time. And, um, you know, I had, I had awesome, awesome BM1s, you know, each in their own, like, quirky, weird, like, way. It was, uh, you know, you know, Jess, right? Like the upstart young, like, BM1, right? Who was smart, motivated, right? And uh, uh, like a go-getter, but didn't have you know, didn't have a lot of experience, right? Because it was all at like the the Cape, right? At, a lot of it was at the lifeboat school. I know she went TDY, a bunch of different different places, right? But she was really, really kind of novice from like actual like station station stuff, you know. And uh, you know, getting her to boarding officer school, like uh, all all the different schools, like she was she was you know my little project right of like someone that you can mold and like she told me to ask you about the red folder (laughs) you know yeah i do i I don't know if she's still actually i had it i had it she said she asked you about the your red folder not long ago and you said you still had it somewhere so i i did have it i don't know where she said if i ever lost this kevin would kill me (laughs) yeah it was it was uh it was a folder with 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 uh you know god Right. Like everything when she was ops, right. Like everything that needed signatures, right. Like yeah. all of the stuff, right. Like it was in a red folder and, and I, red folder was more her, but like it, yeah. she, but it was good, you know, had, had everything in there, but you know, I had, I had great being ones, man. Right. Like Bobby for all of like Bobby's like weirdness, Bobby was great at like certain things, you know? Um, and you're talking like the mid-level managers kind of like running the nuts yeah. and bolts of how the unit was going operationally. Yeah, right. yeah. And like, um, you know, Kendall, right. Great yeah. at like admin stuff. Like he should have been a yeoman, you know? And like, I, I think back at like, how amazing that unit was right even and you kind of left right like and these a lot of these folk kind of came in as you as you kind of left you and scott had left right and um you know i we had a good three-year run there where like we had some of the best boat drivers best people right like imaginable well and the the, there was such a dynamic unit as far as mission set and every day was different there was never a dull moment as far as what kind of mission you're going to have no, that, you know, but I, but I do think back to, right. Like to a certain extent, right. Like I was probably a terrible boss for anybody that had a family. Right. And I didn't, I didn't realize that really until I got to Miami, you know, and, uh, I, I remember like I, I worked all the time, right. Like, you know, the wife was working at the U S attorney's office. I didn't have kids. I loved my job. I was working underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, right? Like, I mean, it was the gym. We had a gym. We had every, like, it was perfect. It was the perfect, it was the perfect job, right? Or, 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 you know, making great money, like, in a great area, right? Like, everything was was uh, perfect. But I, I, I sit back and I think to, like, about Brett Bonner and, like, Jason Gale and Bobby and, like, some of these folks that had kids and families, I was a boss that was always at work. I was always there. Right. And I, 
And I and it wasn't and because loved, you didn't trust people. It's because you just enjoyed actually being at work. I, I loved I loved my job. I loved mm-hmm. just hanging out. Right. And Jess will probably tell you about like the 1600 like chief projects. Right. And mm-hmm. and it was never that like I expected people to stick around at 1600 and do them with me. Right. It was that I loved my job and I wanted to do it because I loved my job. Right. Yeah. Probably more than more than anything. Right. And um, there's a lot of leaders that can't say that, you know, and yeah. um, I, I realized I probably should have. There were times when I should have just like left. Right. And gone home and gone. And I don't know, picked up underwater basket weaving or done yeah. something else. But like my hobby, you know, was my job. Like I, I loved it. I loved hanging out and with people and and all of it and it's one of the things that like at times and maybe you felt like this dude like i mean you know i'm a w4 now but like i still feel like i'm a bm2 like i don't i don't really feel like i've matured really all that much like i'm smarter and i you know like i but like i still feel like i'm bm2 morgan yeah sometimes right so like when i'm walking around and like I'm talking and I'm interacting and I think that's what I'm going to miss probably the most, right? Is like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm, you know, the 25 year crotchety like warrant, right? I don't, I don't feel that. Right. But I do feel. You were always, you, you were always, uh, you know, I never worked for you. You never worked for me. We were always peers. You were always one of the most hands-on people I've ever seen as far as, the technical job, you know, you were always that type of person. So I don't know as if you ever leave that. I mean, yes, you've obviously rose in the ranks and you're in more administrative roles now, but you're, you're still always that hands-on person. You like to be in the middle of things. You like to know what's going on. You like to be a part of projects. That's just how you are. I, I loved man more than anything, like even like going down or going out into like the bosun hall, right. And like splicing double braided nylon with folks, right. Like I loved doing that kind of stuff. And it was never, it was never because I didn't trust them to do it. It was because I liked right. doing it. I, I loved doing that stuff. But I do realize, you know, kind of now, like I, it, it, I must've been an absolute terrible boss for folks that had a family. Cause I was always at work and I was always there and I was always doing stuff. I was always trying to like find other things to do and make things better. And, um, you know, I, I probably drove some of those guys, right. Like nuts. Right. Like if they I, didn't I, know, I, if they didn't know why you were always there, maybe you were, yeah, maybe they did. It. Right. Yeah. Maybe they did. But I, I know, I know, like I probably put pressure like on folks, right. Like, you know, Jess probably never felt it because she didn't have kids. Right. She didn't have family. Like yeah. she like, she loved maybe her some of the more junior, that. junior people, maybe if they saw it, you know, the E4 level or E3 yeah, level. Yeah. Right. Like, Oh, the boss is always here. Oh, yeah. the boss is always here. Right. And I, and I remember at times, right. Like folks coming in at like, I don't know, 1500, 1530, 1600, right? Kind of being like, hey, I'm checking out. And I remember looking up at my clock and I remember not like looking up at my clock that like, oh, they're already leaving and going home. But it was more of a check like, oh, what time is it, right? Because, right. oh my God, I can't believe it's already like 1600, right? Like, wow, you know? So 
from that standpoint. And I didn't really, I didn't really get that until I got to Miami and I was essentially after years of being the boss, 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 right. And having kind of an open brow, like all of it. And I still probably had it as a, as a W2, but going into <clears throat> district seven DRE, right. And kind of being like, all right, I'm checking out, right. It's, it's five, it's six, it's seven o'clock. Right. Or, or even when it was early, like, ah, oh, it's, it's three 30, nothing's going on. Right. Like taken off. And I remember my boss commander, he's a captain now. Great, great boss. Um, would always look up at the clock and I, and I, and I realized like when he would do that would make me feel right. Like, like, Oh, like I'm, am I I'm leaving too early. Like, am I leaving too early? Is there stuff to do? But I know that's not what he was doing. He was doing because he was swamped with a whole bunch of stuff. He was seeing what time it was because, you know, he was going to have to go. If I was going, he's got to get on the road. And I, I realized now, right. Like kind of in a, in a, in a heartbeat, like, Oh my God, like that terrible leadership thing right there. Even though I didn't know it's leadership, but that, that terrible habit was terrible. Yeah. And like, how did all the people that work for me, you know, like feel that, yeah. you know? Well, thanks. Uh, thanks again for your time. I'm grateful as always. Bye, buddy. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that interview with, with Kevin. Always with Kevin, what you see is what you get. Kevin gives his, gives his ideas unfiltered. That's what I love about Kevin. Just a dynamic person and, and have enjoyed knowing him for as long as I've known him. Been a great, great person to serve with and be a friend too. So remember, philosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen your understanding of leadership, my understanding of leadership. I think we did that today. I learned some things from Kevin, some things I didn't know about what he thought on leadership, which was really exciting. So I thank Kevin for his time and thanks everyone for watching. See you next time. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.